Well, this week has obviously been full of some profound and historic moments. I don't know which ones have stuck out most for you, but one of the most uh, unsettling moments, I think, for me uh, came out um, as I was on my way back from doing the school run on Friday morning, and I was listening to the radio in the car, and, and one of the, the voices of one of the radio presenters actually became really shaky. Um, they're usually a very professional and steady presenter, but on this occasion, they, they got a bit teary and a bit emotional, and completely legitimate, I think. And, and the reason that they got teary and a bit emotional was that they referred to Prince Charles instead of King Charles. They, they quickly corrected themselves. They, they pointed out that Prince Charles is now King Charles III. And they, they finished their sentence by simply saying, they sort of blurted out, oh, so much has changed, I can't keep up. And that really resonated with me, actually. I don't know if that resonates with you this morning. So much has changed, I can't keep up. The American psychologist Harry Levinson, he said that all change is a loss, and all loss must be mourned. All change is a loss. Any change is a grief. Even good changes bring with them things to grieve, and it's important and healthy that we give space to mourn those things in our lives. Uh, just over a year ago, my, my family and I, my, my wife Athena, who's just demonstrating who she is by walking down at the exact time, just wanted to point her out just to make her feel awkward. Um, but my wife and I, um, our two little ones, we, we moved to Torbay um, just over a year ago to begin planting Bay Church alongside Matt and Fiona and the rest of the team. And I was so excited. I, I'm so excited. I feel so blessed to be part of this team. Um, I, I am completely in love with Torbay. And I love the vision of this church to see Jesus love the church alive and society transformed in Torbay and beyond. I, I'm so excited by that vision. And I absolutely feel called by God to be here. But on the day we moved house, I was a blubbering wreck. I was, I was crying a lot. I was moving flat pack furniture around whilst streams of tears. Flat pack furniture, don't combine the two. Um, I felt so sad to leave our old home in Oxfordshire, to leave the beautiful church family we were part of there, to move several hours away from friends and family. And that was such a good change, an unmitigatedly good change to come here and be in the English Riviera. But it still came with a side helping of grief. Because any change is a grief, even the good changes. But the collective grief that we're going through now as a nation feels all the more, more profound, doesn't it? At times like this, it feels all the more profound. The changes feel a little more overwhelming. The reality is, is that even before the sad news of Queen Elizabeth's death began to filter through, this was already a week in which we were seeing a lot of change. We have a new prime minister, and wow, do we need to pray for her. She's got quite the entree. Let's be praying for Liz Truss. Whatever you think of her, wherever you are on the political spectrum, we need to be praying for our politicians. We've got a new cabinet. We've got new challenges arising for people across our nation and our communities with the cost of living crisis. For many of us, the start of this week began with new rhythms and routines as children started new schools and new classes and the new academic year, you may well be facing new challenges, new jobs, new situations, new things going on in your life. And now we have a new king, King Charles III. Pray for him. And perhaps most profoundly at this point in time, we have a new sense of collective loss in this period of national mourning. And in a straightforward sense, the death of the queen is a loss. It's a loss in itself, isn't it? She has been a constant in the life of our nation for over 70 years. I've never known a day without her being the queen. 
My parents haven't. My grandparents, my granddad was three when she came to the throne. It's, you know, it's pretty remarkable stuff that we're living through here. She's been a constant in the life of our nation for over 70 years, and we're sad that that's no longer the case. We're sad for the royal family as we mourn and as they mourn. But in an indirect way, the death of the queen may have reminded us of our own loved ones who have died and who we miss dearly. My, my nan died in 2015, and, and she absolutely loved the queen, like really loved the queen. Like picture, pictures of the queen on the wall loved the queen, like loved the queen. And so in a small way, I'll be honest, I've, I've been forced to re-grieve the loss of my nan as we've gone through the events of this week. And you may have found yourself surprised this week as the events of this week have churned up old memories and old grief which you've had to navigate. And I just want to say that that is totally healthy, totally normal, and God is with you as you process that. And in a wider sense, the death of the queen has simply reminded us about death. Her death reminds us that everything and everything Everyone in this world, sadly, will one day die. St. Paul puts it really starkly in the book of Ephesians when he says that death is just the way of the world. And that is a pretty big concept, isn't it, to wrestle with when you're just going about your daily life, when you're trying to do the school run, when you're talking to someone at the, the checkout in Tesco, to just have in the back of your head. All things die, and that's just the way of the world. It's a pretty hopeless outlook, isn't it? But I want to suggest this morning that we can have hope. Because there is always hope, and his name is Jesus Christ. The way of the world goes one way, from death to life. The way of Jesus goes the other way, from life. No, the other way. I got it the wrong way around, didn't I? I said it the wrong way around. Oh, that was a really good point, wasn't it? The way of the world goes one way, from life to death. The way of the world goes one way, from life to death. The way of Jesus goes from death to life. Does that make sense? Does it get the right way around? You know what I mean. It's fine. It's been a long week. This is the hope. This is the hope that Queen Elizabeth herself placed her faith in. This is the hope that St. Paul goes on to talk about in the book of Ephesians. And the death of Jesus on that cross means that death has now lost its sting. As we sang earlier, death has now lost its sting. The resurrection of Jesus pays the way for each and every one of us to be offered the gift of new life. And so however you find yourself reacting to Queen Elizabeth's death, or whether you're wrestling with your own grief or your own difficult life circumstances, whatever is going on in your life right now, I want to encourage you this morning that whenever we encounter changes and new things and all of the grief that comes with them, we are invited to enter into them, not on our own, but in Jesus in Christ, with Jesus right by our side. I hope you'll understand that this talk is not exactly the one I had planned at the start of the week. And yet, last week, um, it's kind of all sort of fit in a little bit together. Um, Actually, last week, Matt kicked off our new series of talks, simply entitled New, where we're rooting ourselves in that New Testament book, of Ephesians. And one of the core themes of Ephesians is the reality of what it means to be in Christ. Because being in Christ means that you have three things. It means you have new identity, new life, and new power. Matt kicked us off last week by speaking about how in Christ we have a new identity, how being in Christ impacts the deep foundations of our lives. But this week, we're actually always planning 
on exploring how in Christ we are gifted new life. And so this morning, I want to consider how we can take comfort from that gift of new life that Jesus offers to each and every one of us. And so Paul is writing this letter 2,000 odd years ago. He's writing this letter to the, the, um, the church in Ephesus, telling them about the goodness of God. And he does this clever thing with the structure of the book of Ephesians, where he pairs the chapters up. And so chapters 2 and 5, which we're looking at today, they kind of correspond to each other. And what you get is in, in, in chapter 2, you get this theological truth that Paul lays out. And then in chapter 5, he goes on to explain what that truth means for us in the here and now. And across these two chapters, Paul talks about three things. He talks about a problem, a gift, and a response. And so we're just going to unpack those three things really briefly now. So firstly, the problem. The problem is really simple. The problem is what we've talked about already. The problem is the problem of death. Now, Paul isn't writing this letter from a comfy hotel room or a sun-soaked beach. Paul is writing from prison. He's been in prison purely because of his faith in Jesus. It should be bleak and sad for Paul. And so in verses 1 to 3 of chapter 2 of Ephesians, he sketches out this big, bleak problem that we've just discussed, that the world is broken. It's full of sin and sadness and suffering. And so the way of the world is that all things die. Without God, things die. It's bleak. It's sad. Life ends in death. In fact, more than that, life is full of death. Life is full of mourning. But, Paul says, but, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And so from verse 4 onwards, Paul writes about this beautiful pivot, this incredible turnaround in history. Paul speaks of the hope he has even in the midst of his own difficult circumstances and where it comes from. He goes on to say, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. The way of the world is that all things die. But God loves us so much that he has raised us to new life. And he has offered this new life to each and every one of us. Now, why on earth would he do that? Paul says it is a gift. Our second point, the gift of new life. A pure gift from God, the creator and sustainer of the universe. A gift he offers to us with no ulterior motive. A gift he offers not because he has to, not because there's, you know, there's some bigger God twisting his arm behind his back saying, I'll be kind to those humans. He has no ulterior motive. He's not having his arm twisted. He wants to give us gifts. He gives us this gift because he loves us, because he delights in us, because we are his children. And all we have to do is accept that gift. As Paul goes on to say, we don't have to work for it or strive for it. We don't have to try and manufacture new life for ourselves. Let's say, hypothetically, in a very unlikely scenario, 
maybe. Talk to my wife about this afterwards. Let's say hypothetically, I pop down to Toy Master tomorrow and buy my kids some Lego. If I come home and say, hey kids, I've bought you a gift, it's some Lego. They'd obviously cheer and celebrate, call me the best dad ever. Yeah, 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 yeah it's fine. We, we know that. Um, but then if I turned around and said, you can't have the Lego on the condition that you do all the hoovering, cooking, and cleaning in the next 24 hours. Now, to some people, that might seem like a smart parenting strategy. But whatever you think of that, it's definitely not a gift anymore, is it? It's kind of a payment now. It's also a terrible idea because my son is only two and a half and he can't really reach the hob yet. But, um, but anyway, sometimes we can imagine that that's what God is saying to us. Sure, you can have this gift of new life, but first you've got to sort your current life out first. I need you to be kinder. I need you to stop swearing. I need you to give more to charity. Then you can have the Lego box with the new life in it. But what Paul is saying here is that that might be the way of the world. But this transactional way of doing things is not how God works. We are his children, and he delights in lavishing gifts upon us, good gifts on us. And no gift is greater than the new life he offers to us in Jesus Christ. We don't have to work for it. All we have to do is accept it and allow our lives to be transformed from there. Having faith that one day, when we go the way of the world, when our last day finally comes, when we breathe our final breath, that we'll be face to face with Jesus after that. Resting in his heavenly peace and ready to rise in his glory when he comes again. And so what do we do with that now? What do we do with that in the day to day right now? Well, in chapter five, Paul goes on to outline what our response to that gift should look like. He says, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Our response is to follow God's example. Our response is to follow God's example. No worries, right? Just got to follow God's example. Easy, simple, just do the exact same things that God does. Not a problem. All it means is we've got to live perfect lives of self-sacrificial love, just as Christ did. Is anybody else just a little bit daunted by the prospect of trying to follow God's example? Is it just me? Just me? No, we all right. Well, whether we feel daunted or not, Paul has good news, and it's right there in the text. Paul doesn't write, follow God's example, therefore, as slaves or workers trying to make a wage. He also doesn't write, follow God's example, therefore, as a total equal of God who has all the same power, might, and authority as God. No. What Paul writes is, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children. A few years ago, when I was training to be a vicar, um, sorry, there's lots of stories about my kids this morning. Don't worry. I, I have a deal with them. I, I give them a pound every time I tell them a story. I tell a story about them in, in church, so it's fine. Um, a few years ago, when I was trained to be a vicar, my wife was also training to be a counselor. Um, and we were guardians to a girl who was studying for her A-levels at the same time. And so there were a lot of essays being written in our house. And one day, I walked into our lounge to find my daughter, who was two and a half at the time, with a piece of cardboard she'd set up in a sort of L-shape. Kind of, like, kind of like that. She set it up and she was just sort of bashing her hands up and down on the cardboard. 
And I said, Beatrix, what are you doing, darling? What are, you, are you playing? What are you doing? And she said, I'm playing essays. And I had this moment where I was like, what have I done to my child? What have I done? She's playing essays. Is this normal? This isn't in the parenting books. Maybe I should have written on a, a, an essay on the parenting book so, I, so I'd know. But um, I, realized she was, I realized, though, soon after that she was just following the example of her parents. Just following our example. Children follow the example of their parents all the time. For those of us as parents, it's really unnerving. But they follow us. Children follow the example of their parents all the time. Now, I'm not saying my essays at theological college were amazing. But they were all right. They were all right. But I'm not going to lie, guys. The essays that my two-and-a-half-year-old daughter at the time produced, they were rubbish. Didn't make any sense. She barely included any references. Certainly wasn't in the Harvard referencing system, you know. In fact, she didn't even actually produce any essays. She just hit a bit of cardboard a few times. And yet... Her bashing that piece of cardboard brought me so much joy in a weird sort of way. It brought us a lot of joy as a family. And in a way, my wife and I, we we absolutely delighted in her attempts to follow our example because she's our dearly loved child. And you are a dearly loved child of God. And he absolutely delights in it when we follow his example, living out that self-sacrificial love just as Jesus did. However imperfectly, however clunkily, however childlike it may be, follow God's example as dearly loved children. Our nation is in mourning. And it is complicated, and it is sad, and it is messy. The coming weeks and months will be a crucial time in the history of our nation. And it may seem at times as though death has the upper hand, as though it just simply is the way of the world, and so there's no point in trying anything else. But in Jesus, we are brought from death to new life. And so, my friends, I want to encourage you this morning. You don't enter into all of the newness of this time on your own. You enter into it in Christ, with Jesus right alongside you. So tomorrow, when you go off and do the thing that you do, bring that new life into the places and spaces you inhabit. Let's look out for others in our community at this time. Let's let's check in with elderly neighbors on the day of the funeral. Let's give the open space for young people to consider what the Queen's death has brought up for them. Let's give our time to that single mum at the school gate, our listening ears to that colleague, our kindness to the checkout bloke at Tesco. Look out for the people around you, the people who under the radar, maybe carrying their own brokenness, their own mourning about something completely different. Let's look out for each other. Let's follow God's example and live out that self-sacrificial love just as Christ did. Not as slaves, not as workers, not as equals, but as his dearly loved children. Amen. Amen.